0: Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast Channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256 483 Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now, get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, starts a brand new series entitled, Question Theology. All right, good morning, Faith Church. Hey, listen, man, it's great to have you guys here. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor here at Faith Church, and to all of our Faith Church family, hey, man, it's another weekend. We're glad you're here. To all of our guests, we want to say welcome to those who are watching online. Man, we're so glad that you tuned in. Come on, let's give it up for our online audience. So, hey, uh, I got pulled over last weekend, just a confession, in case case you drove by and seen me, because some people did. And uh, so I was driving downtown, and uh, my wife and I and our son, we were looking for a parking spot at UNA, and um, so I get pulled over, and he came in, and he asked the question. You know what the question is? Sir, do you know why I'm pulling you over? And uh, I don't know if this works. It probably doesn't. If you're a police officer, you don't need to write and tell me it doesn't work. I know. But subconsciously, I hope me playing dumb will give me grace. <laughs> I have no idea, officer. You know, sometime, here's what I want to try. Because if I get pulled over, if, if I'm honest, it's usually because I'm speeding. Like, sometime, if, if I'm ever asked that question, do you know why I'm pulling you over? Like, I just want to get really offended. I hope you're not telling me that I am breaking the posted speed limit law because I would never endanger my life or the life of my family or the life of this community. So I don't know what it is, but I know it's not that. Like just get really spiritually like, you know, real self-righteous and irate. But so really he comes up and he asks, but truly I this, this is a rare occasion, but he asks the question, right? Do you, do you know why I'm pulling you over? I had no idea. I had no idea what had happened was I was so anxious looking for a parking spot. I turned right on red and like, I thought you could always turn right on red, and it was actually posted you couldn't turn right on red. And he was standing there, sitting there, literally waiting for me to turn right on red, and he, he got me. Like, I seen him there. That was the sad part. I seen him there. So here's the thing is, right? Police officers probably ask a little bit more, but did you know that the average person asks, on average, 100 questions a day? The average person ask on average 100 questions a day. Now, toddlers, and this moms, you know this, uh, dads, you know this, you have young kids, toddlers ask on average 300 questions a day, which is kind of weird because you think, what happened from asking 300 to 100? Like, have have we figured more stuff out as adults or have we just gotten less curious? Really? But so there's this thing because we all ask questions and we we ask questions for all kinds of reasons. We ask questions because we need information. We ask questions because we want to generate conversation. We ask questions because we're curious. And we ask all kinds of different questions. There are questions that are called open questions and closed questions and funneling questions and curiosity questions. There are all these different kind of questions that we ask in the 100 questions that we ask a day or we, or we are asked. Like these questions just are just kind of flying back and forth. My favorite kind of question is the rhetorical question. Like I love to bring that out when I need it, especially with my kids, right? But there's a question, it's not an official, there's officially five different types of questions. This isn't an official kind, but it is no, make no mistake, it is a type of question. It's the dumb question. Now I know people say there's no such thing as a dumb question, and I'm just telling you, there are plenty of dumb questions asked in this world. Can I just get an amen to that? Like I get asked dumb questions on a regular basis because I have three kids. Let me just tell you what a dumb question is. A dumb question, because there, you know, there are some, if you are genuinely interested in expanding your knowledge, and don't ever be embarrassed to ask. If you don't know, ask. That's not a dumb question. Hey, like, how do I do this? How do I get here? How do I make this happen? Like, if you really want to know, ask. That's not a dumb question. But a dumb question in my book is when you already know the answer, but you ask the question anyways, like my kids will ask these, Dad, can we get another puppy? Dad, will you buy me a new car? Dad, will you take me here and get this for me? Like, here's the rule in my house, just so you know, um, I don't answer dumb questions. So when my kids ask me a question and I don't respond, they know immediately the answer is no, and it's just a dumb question you shouldn't even ask. Like, you should just save your breath. Right? So so there are all these different questions. Here's the thing is, and we're going to see this, is that Jesus, in John chapter 5, he asks what would appear on the surface to be a dumb question. Jesus. He asks a guy, the Bible tells us that he's, he's, been, he's been lame, he's been paralyzed for almost 40 years, and then Jesus asks this guy that has not been able to walk for 40 years, hey, do you want to be healed? Doesn't that seem like a dumb question? But here's the thing you'll find out about Jesus is that he's not dumb, right? Jesus, he asks all kinds of questions. In fact, when you kind of follow the gospels and you do a little bit of the digging and investigation, like Jesus, Jesus is asked... Ask all kinds of questions. In fact, in the gospels, it's recorded that Jesus is asked by people 183 questions, 183 different questions. Here's what's really interesting is Jesus ignores or is silent on most of the questions, which means people come and ask him questions and he doesn't even acknowledge it. He just totally ignores it, blows it off. 58 of the questions that he's asked, he answers, but in like a real indirect way. He'll answer by a parable or he'll answer a question with a question, which how many people hate when people do that to you? You know, that's one of the Jesus's primary things, like he would answer questions with questions. Here's what's really crazy. Out of the 183 questions that Jesus was asked, recorded in the gospels while he was here on planet earth, he only answered three of them directly. There's just something to learn from that. Like, too many of you think you got an opinion. Sometimes we just need to be quiet, right? But here's what's really cra- crazy, is even though Jesus, even though Jesus himself only answers three questions, do you know that he asks over 300 questions in the Gospels? He asks all kinds of questions. In fact, it's a, you almost walk away, and you have to kind of pull back and say this, that asking questions is probably Jesus' primary number one mode of teaching. Right? And I think he got it from his heavenly father. I think he figured it out, right? Because all the way back, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we find that God is kind of teaching by asking questions. Like he asked right away, right? Some of you know the story in the book of Genesis Adam and Eve, they sin, and in their sin, they go hide from God. And God shows up and he asks this question Hey, hey, Adam, where are you? Right? God knew where Adam was, God wasn't looking for a GPS ping to like know physical, physicality of where Adam was located in the garden, right? He didn't pull up, like search the iPhone and find him. What he wanted to know was he wanted, he wanted Adam to search his heart and say, hey, Adam, like where's your heart at? What happened to our relation? Like what put you in the place where you feel like you have to hide from me? So it wasn't a, like it wasn't a question that God needed answered. It was a question that God wanted Adam to answer, then you, re- then you read in the very next chapter, God asks this question, Cain, why are you angry? Like God knew why Cain had an attitude. God knew why Cain was mad. But God wanted Cain to kind of pull back and ask the question of himself like, gosh, what's wrong with my heart? Like what am I so mad about? Why am I angry at my brother? And we know he goes on and he, he kills his brother. So here's the thing is, as you read Kind of all the way from the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament, like you see all of these questions being asked by God of us, specifically again in the gospels of Jesus to us. He's asking these questions. And here's what you need to know is God doesn't need information. Right? He has all the information he need he needs. If God is asking a question, it's not for his information, it's for our transformation. Because God is wanting us to do soul searching. God is wanting us to look on the inside. God is wanting us to have retrospect and introspect of what's going on in our life, what's going on in our mind, what's going on in our world. And so, I, like, I just believe that Jesus, again, it's, it's his number one mode. Maybe you've been told that Jesus is number one mode of teaching is parables. He uses it a lot, but he asks a lot more questions. And here's why, because there's a difference between giving information and someone owning information right? If I just told you a fact, if I just told you something, and I do it every week, if I just stood up here and just told you spiritual truths, like, you might get it, you might not, but if you can own it, you'll walk out of this place and you'll live different. And so Jesus knew, and here's, like, I love Jesus, and I try to follow this model. Here's what I think Jesus knew, is Jesus knew we're a lot smarter than we pretend. Like, I, I don't know how to fix my marriage. Like, I don't know, what, do I, what should I do with my kids? Like, what do I do about my financial? Like, we're up to up to our eyeballs in debt. Like, what do I do with my finances? Like, you know, Jesus, he could answer those questions. Like, he could have he, here's what's crazy is that he asked so many questions. Jesus is called the, the truth. <laughs> Jesus is called the living word. Like you would think he would just walk around making like bumper sticker statements that we could just live by. And he doesn't, he goes around asking questions. Because, again, he knows, it, right, that it's one thing to give information. It's another thing for you to own information. And so I have found out it's one of my counseling techniques. So just so you know, if you ever come and, hey, I need to see Pastor Steve. I got this issue I need to talk through. Here's what I ask almost every person who comes and sees me. Are you ready? And you can use this. Free of charge. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. Don't ever say I'm not generous. Right here, you can take it. It's yours. When a friend ever comes and gives you their problem and says, what should I do? Here's the question I ask. Take yourself out of it if a friend of yours comes to you with the exact same situation, what would you tell them to do? And it's funny how quick people know the answer. They'll come to me, pastor, like I'm dating this guy and I think I really love him. I think he's the one. He's like cheated on me two times and I'm not just, I'm just not sure what I should do. Like, should I give him another chance or like, I really love him. And I think he's the one. Okay. Pull in, pull in. Okay. Here's a question. If a friend of yours came to you and was dating a guy that she thinks is the one, and he's cheated on her two times. She came to you and asked, what should I do? What would you tell her? Well, I tell her, she needs to tell him to hit the road. There's your answer. Boom, it's been in your heart all along. (laughs) Pastor, my kids won't, they just won't listen to me. Like, I'm not sure what to do. Okay, um... So if you have a friend who comes to you and their kids won't listen to them, uh, what would you tell them to do? I'd probably tell them they probably need to discipline them more, probably get their spanking on. There you go. Boom. You've been knowing what to do the whole time. See, Jesus knows, right, that we know what to do, but as long as we can play dumb, as long as we can act like we don't know the answer, as long as like, we're not willing to be confronted. Come on, guys. As long as we're not willing to be confronted with the truth, we don't have to live it. But Jesus steps on the scene and he confronts us with the reality of what we already know to be true with this powerful teaching method called questions. And so today we're starting a series entitled Question Theology. And this is not necessarily an opportunity for us to question the theology we teach or know biblically. What we're doing is we're going to look over the next several weeks at a handful of the over 300 questions that Jesus asked. We're going to look at just four of them starting today. And we're going to kind of pull back, and we're going to allow Jesus to ask us the question that he asked people 2,000 years ago. And here's what I know to be true, is if we'll take an honest look, not just at the question, but at the information that God wants us to have that I think he knows is already in our heart, that every week for the next four weeks we'll walk out of this place changed. So let's jump in. Gospel of John, chapter 5, here's where the story goes, and this is where the question is asked. It says, afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside of the city, near the sheep gate. Now, the sheep gate around the city of Jerusalem. There were twelve gates. There were twelve doors to get in the walls of the city of Jerusalem. One of them. They all had different names. One is called the sheep gate. Near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda. Like this is the like this is not the local swimming hole. Like this isn't the place like where where you had to have a swimming pass to get in. This was just the place that was set up. And it says it has five covered porches. Think about it like different decks. So Jesus walks up to this pool. There's five different decks there. And check out what he finds. Verse 2, he knows it's there. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. I love it because right away we know that Jesus, he intentionally goes to this place, which tells us something about Jesus. Like to me, this is one of the most important things we can ever learn is that God cares about broken people. God cares about hurting people. God cares about the situations in our lives. And like, He goes looking for these groups of people. Like, He doesn't go hang out with the perfect people. You know, it's funny how many times we feel like, you know, we made a mistake so God doesn't want to be with us. And we, like, we just can't go to church anymore. And we just, you know, we probably just, until we get life figured out, until we're perfect again, then we can go back to church. And I just want you to know, God knows you're not perfect. In fact, God knew you wasn't perfect before you were born. The Bible says that he knew you. God foreknew you means before you were ever a glimmer in your daddy's eye, God knew you. He knew who you would be, what you would do. He knew every mistake you would make. He knew every shortcoming you have. He knew the abortions you would have, the lies you would tell, the people you would sleep with outside of marriage. He knew the people you would backbite against. He knew the things you would steal. He knew your heart issues, your attitude, your mind. He knew everything, and Jesus loves you anyways, and that's why the Father sent the Son to get us back into a relationship with him. God goes to broken people. So like it's this huge front end. So you have to imagine, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, maybe a couple hundred. We don't know. We just know there's lots. There's a multitude of sick people. Jesus goes where the sick people are. But here's here's a question. Why were all the sick people gathered at the pool of Bethesda? Well, the Bible tells us. Check this out. There was a local superstition at the time. Here's the superstition. All of these sick people who were at the pool of Bethesda were waiting for the moving of the water. It had jets in it, right? It was a hot tub. <laughs> For an angel went down. This, this, was, this was the local rumor. This was, this was the local superstition. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So the local superstition was... That there was this pool and like all these sick people were kind of like, like they were ready to go, right? Like <laughs> they were ready to hold each other back. And as soon as they seen a bubble, I don't know if it was an angel farting in the water. I don't know if they was, I don't know what it was, but the rumor was there was a stirring of the water and whoever like got in first, can you imagine? I'm just like, there's probably like Pharisees on the side taking bets. I bet the dude with one leg gets in first, right? There's like odds on the leper getting in first. The guy with no eyes, he's wandering around, he can't find it. Whoever gets in first after the water stirred, the rumor was, the superstition was, they were healed. So if you're in second, right, if you're not first, you're last. That's the gospel of Ricky Bobby. Come on. <laughs> right? Tough luck. Maybe next time. We don't know how often the angel shows up every now and then, so it's a superstition. Here's what's crazy. I, I just got to say this right here. That There are a lot of people sitting in a lot, a lot of churches that have a lot of superstitions, And I I just think that there's a time. Now, for an atheist, uh, the difference between something that's a superstition and something that's supernatural, it's all the same thing. It's all a bunch of hokey pokey. It's all in your mind, and you don't need it. For spiritual people, they're both really equivalent. Like, and this is a lot of people in church, like, you know, we have superstitions and we have the supernatural and they're pretty much the same thing. I just want you to know that there is absolutely a difference between superstitions and supernatural. Like, I don't put my faith in crucifixes, rabbit feet, or four-leaf clovers. I put my faith, my hope, in the Father who loved me enough to send the Son who died for me on the cross that gives me strength that you can't see, grace that I need, and he holds me every day of my life. It's all about the supernatural presence of power of God in our lives, I don't need to believe in anything but the one who loves me and the one who loves you, right? So it's a superstition. He's kind of hanging out. And then watch this. Here's where the story picks up. It starts to get personal. Goes from a crowd down to one. Next verse. One. Everybody shout one. One of the men. Now this, if you don't, if you don't read enough, if you don't kind of know the gospels enough, this is kind of an anomaly, It really is. Because when you read the gospels, typically Jesus went to the multitudes. All the multitudes went to Jesus, right? And Jesus, and here's, and here's, this is cool because again, Jesus was saying, Hey, there's, there's, there's just no person too broken. White people and black people and rich people and poor people and male and female. Like it just doesn't matter. Like God would just show up. And the Bible says, and Jesus healed all of those who were infirm. Like it's like It was important for us to know that no matter where you are, no matter how you put yourself on a scale, sick, spiritual, by your color, by your race, by your money. It's almost by us knowing that Jesus went to the multitudes that like we would know that like we fit in the multitude, like I fit there. But the only time we see individuals typically it was individuals that went to Jesus. So Jesus went to multitudes, individuals came to Jesus and these are the people, light would come and, and, and Jesus would acknowledge their faith. Like, wow, you got such great faith. Like these people believed who Jesus said he was, they identified with the things that he did and they would go to him because they recognized that he was the answer to their problem. But I'm just telling you, this right here almost never happens, where Jesus goes to one person. You gotta ask, why, like, why, like Jesus, why did, why did you go to one? I mean, there's a whole pool of sick people. And I think it's almost like God is trying to say to us like, "Hey, I don't want you to get lost in a crowd. While I can heal a crowd, I don't want you to think it's about the crowd. Because in a globe of seven billion people on this planet and over two and a half billion people who call themselves Christians, like God is saying, "Hey, I don't want you to feel like just a number." Like I want you to know that I know you and I know your name and I know your situation and I know what you're going through. I know the heartbreak, I know the passion, I know the dreams, I know the aspirations, I know the things that are haunting you and hurting you and you are hoping for. And God is saying it's not just about the multitude. I care about you. He says you're engraved on the palm of my hand. I know you. I just want you to know that the Father knows you. He knows your situation. Don't ever think that God's too busy for you. Don't ever think that God's too Distracted for you. Don't ever think that you don't matter. I'm telling you, He knows you by name. And so He goes to the one. You're the one. You're the one. Jesus had you on His mind when He was on His cross. You by name. Here's where it gets good. Y'all don't probably recognize it, but in my deep schooling and theological training, It immediately came on my spiritual radar. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Everybody shout 38. Now, see, if you don't know it, I'm just telling you, and I've said this before, that there is no detail listed in Scripture that is there by accident. I believe that the Word of God, I believe that the Bible is an errant and infallible, which which means that in the original language, it says exactly what it was meant to say. Nothing was left out. Nothing was added. It's exactly God's Word, which means every detail, every name, every number, everything listed there is put there for a purpose, and God wants us to get something out of it. Are y'all hearing me? I just need some people who got some maturity to say amen so the younger believers can kind of get that. And so when the Bible cares to tell us specifically, not that the guy was just sick for a long time, right? I mean, if it had just said, hey, this guy was sick for like a horribly long time, we'd be like, okay, we would get it. If he was sick for around 40 years, like we would get it. But the Bible doesn't say it. The Bible says he was sick for how long? I'm just telling you, every word in Scripture matters. And when the Bible tells us that this guy was 38 that was sick for 38 years when Jesus came to him, it's because the Bible's trying to tell us, God's trying to tell us, this story's trying to tell us that God's getting ready to do something. I just want you to know that, listen, when you're in a bad situation in life, it's easy to feel like it's been 38 years. Has anybody ever else recognized that when you go through a good time, it flies by, and when you go through a bad time, it drags? It feels like we're sick forever. It feels like our marriage is bad forever. It feels like our kids are in rebellion forever. It feels like we're looking for a job forever. When we're in a good place, it seems to fly by, but when we're in a bad place it lasts forever. This guy was sick for 30 years. Eight years. Let me tell you about the number 38 because every number in scripture means something. The number one means unity. The number three means perfection. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfection. Jesus rose on the third day, perfection. The number five is the number of grace. The number six is the number of man. The number seven is the number of completion. That there are seven days in a week right? They all mean something. And you go all the way through. Let me tell you what the number eight means. Cause the Bible says he was sick for 38 years. The number eight means it's a new beginning. Yeah, right. It's a new beginning. It's a new beginning because it's the number eight is it's the first day of a new week. Eight. There were eight people that got off the ark, When God flooded the earth, there were eight people responsible for the new beginning of the population of humanity. So the number eight means a new beginning. 30 means something as well. 30 means the divine moment, the right time, the perfect moment, right? Jesus, he took, he took his ministry when he was 30 years old. Joseph took over as his place of rulership and authority in the nation of Egypt when he was 30 years old. David took the throne as king when he was 30 years old. So when the Bible tells us that this guy was 38 years old, it's God's way of saying that it was the right moment for a new beginning. I just want to declare that over you. I just want to speak that over you today. That if you're hurting, you're broken, you're confused, you're going through a tough time. I just want you to know that God knows you. He knows where you're at. And it's the right time for a new beginning in your life. And then Jesus gets kind of crazy on us. Verse 6, here it goes. And when Jesus saw him, again, not them, forest for the trees, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time. So again, Jesus, he knows this guy's been sick for a long time. He knows he's been sick specifically 38 years. He asked him this question. Come, come on, guys, for, for real? W- would you like to be made well? Let me just ask you this. You li- anybody here, would you like a million dollars? I mean, like, you don't need to ask that question. A- anybody here, right? I mean, anybody here, would you like a new car? Like, you can just ask some questions. Don't, like, you don't even need to nod. If you don't want a million dollars, there's something's wrong with you, right? Would you like to be made well? It seems ridiculous on the surface, but here's the thing. Listen, listen, listen. Anytime a question is asked, the person who asks the question, it's to get information. The person who is asked the question, it's to give inflection. I'm asking you something because I want to know something. I'm asking you a question because I want you to consider your answer. Because Jesus is the son of God. He is omniscient. He knows everything there is to know, which means he doesn't need any information. He doesn't want to know, does this guy really want to be healed? He already knows he needs to be healed. He's asking this guy a question so he will pause and like have some inflection, like give some thought to the question, like, am I really ready to be healed? Because here's why. This guy's been sick. How long? Come on. How long? 38 years. 38 years. I don't know if you guys know this, but this really is a responsibility question. What Jesus is asking him is, are you ready to take responsibility for your life? Because up to this time, this guy's been a a part of the public welfare system. Which means that he, his responsibility as a crippled person was to hang out by a pool. I just wonder if he had a Mai Tai. I wonder, right? Like, he's kind of hanging out. And it was the community's responsibility to give him alms and take, which means he didn't have a job, which means he didn't have a family. He didn't have a house to clean. He didn't have a car to take care of. He didn't have a lawn to mow. He didn't have kids to raise. He didn't have a wife. Y'all feel husbands, y'all fill in that blank. <laughs> Depending on where your marriage is at, you can all feel that indifferent. Like, he just didn't have any responsibility. And here's the thing that Jesus knows is the sicker you are, the less responsibility you have. That's a fact. Like, I just got to say this, and I know some of you, listen, for you guys that are hyper-faith people, don't write me a letter. You confess sickness on your life. I like a good sick day. I'm going to be honest. Like, I like to be sick enough that I can call off, but not so sick it ruins my day. Can I just get an Come on, help me. Please. Please. Like if I'm well, I don't care if I don't want to go to work. I gotta to go to work. Like I gotta go. And if I get real sick, it's bad when I get sick because I'm a baby when I'm sick. Like I need people to bathe me. I moan every now and then when I'm sick. Oh. Like count me out. The sicker I am, the less response. like count like three if I get sick just three days. I'm off. Three days. Just don't even call me. I'm gonna lay under the covers. I might play some PlayStation, but I'm gonna lay under the covers. I might shoot some digital dudes, all right? But I'm Because the more, but I like getting sick. You know why? Because I can unplug, I can turn my phone off and like I just lay under the covers and my wife will bring me stuff when I ring the bell. I got a bell. I mean, I don't have one, but I'm gonna get one. I'm gonna get one. I'm gonna try it out and see how it works. Right? Watch, watch, watch. Because if I'm sick, If I'm sick, all the responsibility that's on me as a husband, all the responsibility that's on me as a father, all the responsibility that's on me as a pastor, um, I I need you to come because I'm in a bad, uh, (coughs) I I can't, I'm sick. Come on, y'all know how you call off. I'm not going to be able to make it in today. Not feeling well. Right? So, the more sick you are, the less responsibility you have. And God knows, Jesus knew that this guy had been sitting by the pool for 38 years. And had absolutely no responsibility. And so when he asked him the question, do you want to be made well? He wasn't asking him, did he want his legs back? He was asking him, does he want his life back? Are you ready to get up and go live the life that God created you for? Are you ready to quit sitting here and letting people serve you? Are you ready to get up and go serve people? Are you ready to embrace your destiny and your purpose? But it's going to cost you something because you can't sit here and allow people to take care of you. Now you got to go do what God created and called you to do are you ready for that do you want to be made well see this guy had to ask like I know I'm not saying it was a perfect life but like he had to ask himself am I ready to get up and really like I have to go get if if I'm well people aren't going to bring me stuff if I can walk people aren't going to bring me welfare I got to go get a job if I'm well I can't I can't expect and maybe maybe he had family maybe he didn't but I can't expect like just to ignore my family. Now I got to go back into the home and I got to be the father God created me to be. I got to be the daddy God's created me to be. I got to be the husband that I'm called to be. Like I can't put it off on anybody else. If I'm going to be well, if God's going to do in me what he wants, that means there's going to be some responsibility. Does anybody here remember when they got saved? Anybody here remember the day? Wave at me, wave at me if you remember the day. Let me, let me just tell you, some of you guys have heard bits of this story. Some of you guys have been here long enough, heard this story multiple times. But just real quick, so I got saved 17 years old, got saved, lived a lifestyle totally away from God, didn't know Jesus, didn't serve God, didn't grow up in church, didn't know Jesus, know the Bible, know Scripture, I knew nothing. Started dating the girl who's now my wife had to go to church went to church went to a huge youth play, uh, youth convention center 6000 teenagers heard the gospel preached and i responded for the first time i can i can remember right when like it wasn't the pastor or the preacher or whoever this guy was speaking like he wasn't calling me like god was calling me like i knew god like, wanted me and loved me and wanted to forgive me and like tears streaming down my face like snot like i didn't even care snot you know what you know you're having a God moment when you got snot running you don't care. Like snot and like I walked down to the altar and I cried my eyes out to God and I asked God to forgive me and to save me and to be my savior. I'm telling you when it was all when that moment like when the when the song turned off. Y'all know what I'm talking about when the, God was still there. And I knew I was saved. I knew I was forgiven. And I'll never forget because I got saved in the last service of several days. And I'll never forget this because all of the buddies that I left back in Akron, I was in Columbus when this happened, two hours away, all the buddies that I partied with, ran with, fought with, got high with, were hanging out, waiting for me to get home. And I'll never forget walking to the bus to get on the bus to go home from Columbus to Akron. And I remember thinking this question to myself, can I really live this life? Like, can I? So I know God just saved me, but God didn't just save me so I go to heaven. I know God transformed my heart so I can live a different life. Am I really ready to go back home and live the life that he saved me to? See, God doesn't just save you from something. God saves you to something. God doesn't want to heal your old stuff. God wants us to walk in some new stuff. God doesn't want to take the old stuff away. God wants to give us new opportunities and new passions and new calling. I wish somebody would hear me today that God didn't bring you to church just to take away your past, but to give you a future. And I remember walking to that bus thinking, like, I, I don't know if I want to be saved. I don't know if I can. If being saved means i got to quit partying, I'm not sure I want to or can. If living this Jesus thing means I have to tell my friends I'm not hanging with them anymore, I'm not sure I can do that. It's like Jesus was asking me this question, Steve, do you really want to be saved? Like if the question was, do I want to go to heaven? Yes. Come on, y'all. Do, do, I wanna, do I want my sins forgiven? Absolutely. Jesus never asked that question And he never makes that statement in scripture. He almost always uses the word soza. Do you want to be saved from something and to something? And I knew he saved me from something, but I was scared to death of what he saved me to. And like, I think this guy is sitting there and he can't walk. And Jesus asked him this question like, hey, are you really ready to re-engage in society? And I just know this, that this is the question that God's asking a lot of people in this room. I just want you to know that God, he's able to do whatever you need done. I believe that God's able to meet every need that we have. And a lot of you have reasons, and they're good reasons. And I'm not minimizing the hurt you feel, the pain you're feeling, the the abuse you've gone through. I'm not minimizing how people have maligned you, taken advantage of you, stole from you. I'm not minimizing anything anybody in this room is going through at all. But a lot of us in this room, we are using those things as excuses from living the life that Jesus called us to live. Because as long as you can excuse what someone did for you, you don't have to engage with your family. As long as you can point out to how someone hurt you, you don't, have to, you don't have to be a healthy husband or a healthy wife because someone hurt you and someone talked behind your back. You don't have to help out in church and be a part of the body. You can just come and sit in a chair because you got hurt at your last church. But I'm just telling you, I believe that God has asked what Do you want to be healed? Because is saying, I can heal every hurt. I can restore every heart in this house. But if you want it, it means that I'm not just removing a past, but I'm giving you a future. I'm going to give you opportunities and dreams and aspirations to be a part of something greater than you've ever imagined. But you got to be willing to walk in it and live it and embrace it. Are you ready for that? See, you can clap, but I'm just telling you, it's not an easy question to answer. Like it's like, I think. (laughs) Keep going in the story. Next verse. He says this. He says, I can't. So Jesus asked the question, would you like to be made well? He says, I can't, sir. This is crazy. Watch this. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Y'all going to be thinking about angels farting forever when you read this, every time you read it. (laughs) That's my gift to you. You're welcome. <laughs> Counseling and farting angels. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So it's not just a question of responsibility. It's a question of resources. Like, think about it. Like, here is Jesus. Like, there's, there's, this is early in the ministry of Jesus, but there's already stories circulating of people that have been healed, right? The story has already happened where Jesus turns water to wine, which I don't know about you, is, is a pretty cool miracle, Right? I mean, you talk about a party. I'm just saying. You can't be Baptist and read John chapter 4. You just can't. And so, right, so the, the word is out on the boulevard that Jesus heals people, that Jesus does miracles. And here is Jesus. Here is the life changer, miracle maker standing right before this guy. And he doesn't see Jesus. Only thing he sees is the pool. Like, my only hope for getting better is the pool. It's like God, when he, Jesus asks him this question, do you want to be healed? He's asking, him, do you see the resources that are available to you? Because the resources you have available goes beyond the pool. Some of you think the only way that you can ever get beyond your struggle or your hurt is if you can just get to the counselor or you can get to the rehab. If you can just sit down and have the conversation with your spouse, if your kids would just change, if the addiction would just break, if you could just get the job, if you could just get through school. Like some of you see the only hope for a future in your life or to get beyond where you are is something that man can do for you. And I just want you to know that standing right in front of every one of you is the living God who is able to move mountains in our lives. And we got to look and ask, listen, what is the resources available to me? And it is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who can do absolutely anything. The Bible says that that with God, all things are possible. Everybody shout all things. Just fill in the blank. What are you going through? What is your struggle? What is your issue? Like, I know people want to push the resources of this world, and I think there's a lot that's good. I think you should see counselors, and I think you should see accountants, and I think, right, it's okay to go see physicians, and I think, right, there are people that God has gifted tremendously with gifts that help us. But what man can do for you is not the only resource available to you. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was standing right in front of this guy. He's like, well... I want to be healed, but like the only thing I, Jesus, if you would move, yeah, move, yeah, the pool, that's, that's all I got. And so Jesus wants him to know that you got more than a pool, you got a prophet. You, you got more than like just a superstition, you have access to the supernatural. And he looks at this guy that has sat at a, at a pool, poor dependent on people for 38 years, no life. And this happens, verse 8. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Notice the very first thing he does after he heals him. Stand up, he gives him responsibility. Oh, y'all don't miss it. Very first thing he does is stop letting people take responsibility for your life and you take responsibility for it. Stand up pick up your mat and walk instantly. The man was healed first thing. He did you know what he did? He rolled up his sleeping mat and began to walk Mm. Here's the question I really want to ask for you right because I believe it's personal. I believe that whatever reason you have Whatever's keeping you from seeing the potential of Jesus in your life whatever excuse you have to keep you held back from life See, nobody wants to die, but no one really wants to live. Everybody wants their sin forgiven, but nobody wants eternal life. See, Jesus, he didn't come. Listen, Jesus didn't come to offer the forgiveness of sin. He didn't. He said this. He said, I've come to give life and life to the full. Which means the only way we can get life is to get connected to the one that has life. That's the Father. We do that through the Son, Jesus. But then once you have life, it changes the life you have in the life that he came to bring you. And now... Living life, like, I want that. Here's the question Faith Church. If this is your, if you're a visitor, keep your hand down. We're glad you're here. If you're still like checking it out, you've been here three, four, five times, you're not sure. But if this is your church, you're hundred percent in, I want you to lift your hand. Okay, all you lift your hands. This, this question's for you. This is for us. This is our question, Faith Church. Do you want to be healed? Here's the question: Are you ready to stop coming and sitting and soaking and being served? And are you are you ready? Are you ready for God to do something so incredible? Not just through you, but through us. I mean, it's going to be work. I'm just telling you, it's going to be work. It's going to be sacrifice. We're going to be giving harder, praying harder, serving harder. But it's going to give us the ability to make an impact in this community that's never been made. That we're going to see marriages restored, people saved, addictions broken. We're going to see God use faith church to transform the Shoals community. If you're ready to be healed. So if all you want to do is sit, soak, and be served, we can keep doing that. But see, you got to ask, do you really want to be healed? Do you really want to be the church? Or do we just want to play church? So, so you know, you, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I believe God's asked me that as pastor. Steve, are you really ready to be healed? I'm ready. And I believe I'm serving the one who can do it. So I want to invite you if you, you're ready to be the church, I want you to lift a hand. I'm ready to give hard, pray hard, sacrifice hard, to do what God's called us to do, to win this community, to impact lives, and to serve the living God. If you're ready, I want you to lift a hand real high. I'm ready. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Well, he said it. Then get up. Take up your mat. Take responsibility and just start walking.